Hey, 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 what is going on out there, Philadelphia fans? It's time for Crossing Broadcast at a special time. And it's a special time because well, you, got, you have to deal with me and you got Big Bet Bob. We're going to get into a lot today. A lot, of, a lot to talk about. Not a lot of height on this show. I can, I can confirm. I'm a short guy. Bob, slightly taller. Not that tall. We are not six foot ten. Kyle Pagan. Uh, we are not even, you know, six foot four uh, or six foot two, six, whatever Kincaid is. I don't know. But, uh, Bob, how how you doing today? I'm all right, Russ. You sound like you've had some caffeine this morning. You sound a little amped up I right did. now. Let me tell you something. I walked three miles this morning. Three and a half. I walked 1.7 miles to the nearest coffee shop, and I walked back. And I got to tell you, I feel rejuvenated. And you know why I'm so excited, Bob? I don't have to talk about Flyers hockey today, okay? Maybe, maybe for like 10 seconds at the end of the show. But we have a lot to get into. The team that you like to cover... Uh, is pulling a Flyers, and the uh, the team that we both like, that neither of us cover, actually looks like a good team. So I want to get into, like, let's do some hashtag positivity. We'll do some hashtag negadelphia. Uh, but I want to try to, like, find some balance today, pal, because, you know, we're here to keep people happy. It's lunchtime, or it's whenever it hits their podcast feed. Let's hit them with some hashtag positadelphia today. How's that sound? Often when people think about being positive, they think about me. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and the bright energy that I bring to the table. So I think that I'm definitely equipped to do this. So if we want to be positive, I assume that you don't want to start with the Philadelphia Phillies then. No, I mean, we could, I mean, do do we want to get this off? Do we want the, do we want the show to get off the ground on the right foot today? I think we have to to tackle the Phillies. I do. I I just, let's, let's hit this thing head on. All right. Let's set the stage. The Phillies are only a half game up. Look at this, Bob. I actually know about the Phillies. The Phillies are only a half game up on the Brewers. It seemed like a foregone conclusion three, four weeks ago that this team was not only going to be going into the playoffs, but going into the playoffs on a hot streak. They were getting Bryce Harper back. They uh, seemingly, you know, had a, uh, a JT Real Muto who had stepped up in a big way with uh, Harper out. They had uh, Reese Hoskins for as streaky as he could be, somewhat reliable. It looked like Castellanos maybe, maybe could start to get himself back on track, which would be a nice little boost going into the postseason. But... Uh, it's all kind of fallen apart. So I've seen a lot of conjecture on Twitter from people that cover the team, from people who watch the the team from a distance. Um, some are saying that it's the core. Some are saying that it's the fringe players. From your perspective, what has gone wrong in these last, let's say, two weeks that wasn't going wrong a month ago? Where did it all go wrong? Yeah, I mean, man, isn't that not the question? I, I think I... I've tried to be as fair as I possibly can be looking at this team. And, you know, the 2022 Phillies are their own separate deal. They're not the 18, 19, 20, 21 Phillies that have had a similar, similar pattern. I think the thing that's most disappointing about this though, it's previously, especially the Gabe Kapler teams, I think those teams to some extent overperformed and then sort of just met what they really truly were as they got to the end of the season. This is a little bit different, though. It's not just payroll. This is a talented team that has some pretty good players on it. Uh, and they've had a lot more support from the fringes of the roster, whether it was Edmundo Sosa or Nick Maton or, you know, some of these guys in the bullpen that struggled in the beginning of the year that were really good in June, July and parts of August. They are a better team. They are a more complete team. They're a more polished team. And they're still unable to finish the way that they should. Um, and... So I think what you're seeing now are fans saying, this is the same old Phillies. I can't buy into this. It's just the same thing over and over again. And I totally get it. And the last week and a half, two weeks for this team have just been utterly embarrassing. 
And what they've done to end this Atlanta series and now what they've done in Chicago this week has been just truly unbelievably bad. I mean, two for 16 with runners in scoring position last night. You look at some of their key players, and to your question, Russ, I think the biggest problem is that their main guys just simply aren't performing when the chips are pushed into the center of the table here. You know, I think that that the Amundo Sosas and Nick Matons of the world have, have done a good job in providing jolts occasionally for this team to put them on the doorstep. But it's up to guys like Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber to push the door down. Just some numbers here. I don't want to get too deep into this, but I mean, Bryce Harper. Get deep, is buddy. Get deep. Dive into the deep end of this pool. Seven games is hitting 125. He's in 182 over his last 15. Gene Segura, 241 over his last 15. Kyle Schwarber, 196 over his last 15. So, I mean, you're looking at these guys and they have to perform. This is a team that's built upon its offense and they just have not scored consistently enough. So when I look at it, you know, it it, it feels from my perspective, you know, I, I kind of gave Philly fans a hard time about a month ago. And I said, it's a shame to see a fan base that that bitched and moaned for months, for, for years. John Middleton, he's cheap. He doesn't go out and spend. He spent on Harper, but like he doesn't go out and spend. He got Zach Wheeler. He doesn't spend. And, and I said, you know, it's a shame because the team was on a hot streak. The team looked like they were going to enter the postseason strong. And, like, you're going out and you're seeing 13,000 people, right? <laughs> and and it's just, like, it doesn't make sense. You know, it's one thing if the team, you know, looked as if they were going to miss the postseason by, say, seven or eight games, right? Or that they were never really a threat to make it. But, like, they were in strong position, and it didn't feel like the city embraced it. And, and the thing that I would get back from people was, we've seen this before. You know, we're, we're used to this team falling apart. And I think it was Jason Stark today. Uh, put out a, a wild stat uh, about the Phillies being, I, I believe it's 25 games under 500 um, over the last two seasons, three seasons. And it's in the month of September. Yeah, here it is. Um, most games under 500 NL teams from September 1st, the last five seasons, the Phillies are 25 games under 500. And so like I can, I conceptually, I can wrap my my brain around why so many fans were so hesitant to to buy into this team. But man, I mean, I feel like an idiot on one hand because I gave these people a hard time. But then at the same time, I don't know, man. Like, is there a belief, right? Like, you're you're a professional athlete. Y- you go out and you're seeing twelve thousand, thirteen thousand, fourteen thousand people in the stands. Is there a point where a fan base is supposed to help lift their team? You know, like, if you're playing in front of 30,000, 35,000 people who are trying to support their team into a playoff run, like, does any of the onus of this kind of fall onto a fan base for not supporting the team and for not being out there? Like, I feel like there is a little bit of an of a responsibility on the fan to show up and to support and to do the thing that fans are supposed to do and to give that home field advantage. Otherwise, it's like you're playing at a neutral field. I thought at different points this season about this, uh, this question. And I think that there are definitely times where this team was playing pretty good baseball and, and people just weren't showing up. And mm-hmm. I would imagine that privately they're looking out and going like, I thought this was supposed to be like a great baseball town. I thought this was supposed to be a, like a rabid fan base that'll get behind a winner. And I would imagine that they privately feel like that. And if I were a player, I, I probably would feel like that too. Um, not really understanding the greater context of, how bad this organization has been for so long and and previous collapses and all of that. Well, they would argue like, Hey, this is 2022. Like I'm here now we're doing this now. But I I think that this fan base has definitely reached a fork in the road. And 
I, I think what it's going to take, you know, we're, we're at the point now, it kind of reminds me of the early 2000s with the Eagles where you couldn't even really enjoy the regular season because it was like, show me once you get to the postseason. Yeah. And I think that this fan base is kind of waiting on the Phillies to prove that they can do it first rather than, than be there as they try to finally break through. And, you know, not only that, but I think that these players, they need to become – they need to have moments. I've said this before. They need to have moments in big spots. Like they needed somebody to come up and hit that three run homer last night to kind of yeah. give this team a jolt. They need to make the postseason and have guys perform once they're there and sort of capture the imagination of the fan base. And right now, this team doesn't do that. Even when it wins, like I don't think that this is a team that really resonates with the fans. And it's easy to understand why. I mean, like you're talking about some of your best players, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. We spent more time talking about whether or not Aaron Nola is actually good than, than kind of appreciating <laughs> what, what he does when he is good. Like nobody can appreciate a good Aaron Nola start in July because it's met with, well, what's September. And then you fast forward to last night and that's what you get. And it's hard for people yeah. to buy into that and so they don't feel like they're going to watch one of the best pitchers in baseball they feel like they're watching a guy that you know can shut out the marlins for seven innings in the middle of july and that's about it and so there's just not a, a magnetic force that draws the fan base to this team yeah i mean it, it feels like a shame it feels like a missed opportunity and and i don't know if it's i don't know if it's just like a a, a thing that we're experiencing across the philly sports spectrum of not feeling connected to players like i know this seems like such a stupid anecdotal thing but I think back to like the days of Comcast Sportsnet at its best, right? And I think about Sports Rise when I would be getting ready for school in the morning. And the first half of the show's highlights, but the second half is all of the behind the scenes. It's the cutaways to interviews with players. It's that feeling that that idea of like, even though you're not there and even though the cinematography is not kind of like a, you know, like a lead up, like an HBO series, you feel like you get it. And that doesn't exist right now with NBC Sports Philly. And it feels like, you know, on the Eagles side, you've got you've got Jason Kelsey doing the podcast with his brother and like that kind of hits. And like the NFL does a good job in general of like mic'd up segments and things that kind of make you feel connected to players. The Flyers don't. And I've, I've been critical of them for that. The Sixers do a pretty good job with their players behind the scenes. I don't feel like I've seen much on the content front to make me feel connected to Philly's players on that next level. And I feel like when you're a team that's trying to build or you're a team that's trying to get the fans back, this is where we can maybe draw a parallel between the Phillies and the Flyers, you need to do more to get people to connect on a different level because the talent or lack thereof or the clutchness or the lack thereof is only one facet to trying to build a fan base and to trying to build buy-in. And I think of it in pro wrestling terms, you need to tell a story. And so if we don't have that and all we see are these guys who go out game in and game out, and they come up small. It's hard to sell people on the idea of supporting the team. And ultimately, I think it's a shame. It feels like a missed opportunity. And if this team somehow doesn't make the playoffs, like if they if they do totally fall off here and the Brewers pass them, good luck. Like good luck with the next few years because John Middleton isn't going to open up the checkbook to go out and bring in Trey Turner or whoever you think is going to potentially want to come here in the offseason. I don't know. If I'm John Middleton, I sit back and I say, this is like, this is not good. And I don't see why I would shell out a few hundred million dollars more to like make this team better when the fan base hasn't bought in, you know? I Yeah. So I think that there's some validity to what you're saying. I agree in terms of, of selling a story and, and trying to bridge the gap in alternative ways beyond just winning. But I think we all know that 
you know, winning is what's ultimately going to cure this. If the Phillies win 95, 96 games and are a dominant force, then, then people are going to eventually adapt and come out and see that product. I mean, you go back to 07, right? The fan base was not absolutely uh, drawn in by that team right away. They, they had to make the playoffs. They had to, in 08, win the World Series. And that's what set off that attendance spike and the sellout streak and all of that. It was a little bit different, though, because you had somebody that was super marketable in Chase Utley, in Ryan Howard, who was, was hitting 50-plus homers. This team just doesn't quite have that. I mean, I know they have the star power in terms of, of Bryce Harper, but I think that there's just got to be a little bit more to it. And considering the way that the previous seasons have unfolded, until they really break down the door and make some noise in the postseason, I don't think that you're going to get that buy-in, regardless of you know what NBC Sports Philly does in, in terms of uh, – you know the way that they market the team or the type of content that they produce. But I do think that those are fringe things that probably do add up in time. I, I will say this. I, I will say this. I still think that the Phillies are actually going to make the postseason. Um, mathematically, they're still in a pretty good position to do so. They play this afternoon with the Cubs. They have to get one there. And then they have four with the Nationals. I mean, I think it's still an opportunity for them to do this. And then who knows what happens once they get there. I would just say that it is so important. You talked about John Middleton. If you are John Middleton, at some point you have to get frustrated with your return on investment. And I feel like that this organization is really at, at that crossroads here. Like, are, are we going to finally do this or are we not? The one thing that I'll disagree with what you said, though, moving forward. Yeah, they need to make the postseason, but there's going to be, I think, a little bit of an additional spark here moving forward with Mick Abel, with Andrew Painter. Right? You know, when Andrew Painter makes makes his major league debut, that will be the most hyped Phillies debut probably since going back to to the mid mid two thousands. That that decade, 15, 17 years ago, with Cole Hamels and Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and those guys. I mean, this is a big time prospect that a lot of people are going to be interested in. And I think that's the one thing that'll give this team a little bit of an extra push and in interest. I have you muted. I can't hear you. I don't know if it's a tech thing or. <laughs> there we go. I want to, I want to ask you this because it's about Bryce Harper. And I, this is not hot takey. I promise. Is is part of the the problem with not buying into Bryce Harper, the fact that like so much of of it is like superficial, in that like there there's something to be said for a guy who like goes through the entire developmental system and feels like they're part of the fabric of the team and like you see them, uh, you know, come from being a, a highly touted prospect and then like becoming a major leaguer and then maybe even taking that next level, where like. We didn't have that with Bryce Harper. I mean, he came in, he played at a really high level, he won an MVP, like he was on MVP track again this year before he got hurt. And it and it just kind of feels like, you know, he's that piece that's supposed to put you over the top, but like you're supposed to kind of have that young core that you can kind of latch on to. And and Bryce Harper to his credit, like really did try to go out of his way to make it seem like he was embracing the city and like the fanatic socks and everything. But like, I don't know, like it, is it just that like people kind of feel like, all right, this is pandering. You know, like initially there's a lot of excitement and then you're just kind of like, ah. I don't. I don't think that at all, Russ. I think that he, um, there is some pandering for sure. 
But I do think that there's a genuine buy-in from the player. I mean, I think he wants this organization to win. I think that he knows his own profile, and this is a selfish reason, but even the most cynical way of looking at this, he knows his own profile from a national perspective is only going to go so far if the team that he plays for is irrelevant, right? So I I think that there's a genuine buy-in from Bryce Harper with the organization. I really think it kind of draws back to, and I think he epitomizes what I was just talking about with these players don't have moments. When you think about Bryce Harper's tenure with the Phillies and the the Bryce Harper moments, right, where it was like, wow. And yeah, he won an MVP last year and he may have again this year. But right now, when I think about Bryce Harper's defining moments with the Phillies, I think about two different things. A grand slam that he hit against the Cubs in, I want to say, August of 2019 as a walk-off. And then the home run that he hit against the Angels earlier uh, this this spring or early summer, I guess it was, early June. Like, those are the two, like, defining Bryce Harper moments for me as somebody that's covered this team. And, like, that isn't going to get it done. Like, mm-hmm. you know what he needs? Like, he needs a moment like last night where he comes up in the ninth inning is the tying run and this team is sputtering. And everyone's like, Jesus Christ, here we go again. And he pops a two-run homer at Wrigley Field to tie the game, not strike out on three pitches outside of the strike zone, you know? And and that's the problem. He does not have that defining moment in a big-time spot where he validates his existence with this franchise. And he needs one because he's been here for four years now, and this team's not made the playoffs. And, like, for him to really vault his profile and really vault that, that juice in this city – that's what it has to happen. And it, he can hit 37 home runs, but it's got to happen at the right time now. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I, I want to put this out to the people. We did this on social, but, like, I think today the goal is maybe to be a little bit interactive with the human beings who are watching on the YouTube channel. And if you're listening in the podcast feed after the fact, you know, you know thank, thanks for being here. Uh, but if you're watching, we'll, we'll take your questions, comments, and concerns here. Let us know how you're feeling about the Phillies. But Jim Keith says that COVID put a huge damper on all the excitement of Bryce Harper coming here. I, I would say there's there's some validity to that. Uh, your thoughts? Do you do you agree with Jim? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that's definitely a part of it. Um, you know, I guess I thought that when baseball came back and you know the parks reopened, that there would be you know an appetite for that missed time, and it just seems like things didn't quite fully recover. You know, 2019, if you look back at it, it was a disappointing finish for the Phillies. And when they signed him and and then you bring in JT Romuto, you're thinking like, wow, they've arrived. They're finally going to do this. But as you watch that team play out, you realize that they just had no depth and that maybe they weren't quite ready yet. But it felt like coming into 2020, like, hey, this is is year two now of Bryce Harper. They're going to take this step forward. And, you know, baseball just was not the – I mean, certainly it was not the same in 2020. But it wasn't the same in 21 either. And I definitely do think that it probably uh, derailed some of that momentum and some of that hype of him showing up here. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, I mean, and and I guess the the thing to kind of put a to put a cap on this, to put an end on it, unless there's somebody in the comments who like wants to throw their idea out here, is ultimately it's a good thing for the Phillies if they make the postseason, right? Uh, and it would do a lot for the city to see a team make the playoffs uh, and to kind of bridge the gap here, because for better or worse, like there will be excitement around the Sixers season, right? Yeah. Uh, you know the. There are going to be plenty of different ideas of how far that team can really go. Are you relying too much on former Rockets that are past their prime? Like, we can get there. 
But like, there's still a thought that they're going to be a top five team, top three team, maybe in the Eastern Conference. So there's excitement there. The Flyers season is like totally dead on arrival. We know that the front office doesn't know it, but everybody else does. So that's like one team that you just kind of factor out. The union fans and the people who are going to kind of get on that playoff train, which has grown, that number has grown. Uh, they're going to be excited through an MLS Cup run. Like there, there's a little bit there. The Eagles, which we're going to talk about here in a second, there's a lot of excitement there. It feels like the Phillies just kind of need for their franchise, for their fans, just break the playoff drought. Like yeah. get in. It's been 11 years. Like that seemed inconceivable, right? Like when when this team was on its run, that seemed totally inconceivable that they I fall out of relevancy like, in, oh in that God, way. The Phillies are when they got all of that that Comcast money, you know, NBC Sports Philly now. Uh, just the way they were positioned, the aggressive ownership. I said, "Oh my, oh my goodness, they're they're going to be a, a perennial winner. They're going to be the Red Sox and Yankees." And and here we are, eleven years later, talking about a potential missed playoff run again. Totally agree with you. They have to break down this role. This this this, this is this isn't another unique take on it, and I don't disagree with it. And I'm sure that this will come up at some point, you know, when Pagan's back or Kincaid is back. But if the Phillies only make the playoffs because MLB added another spot, EJM, who checks in, says he doesn't think it moves the needle. Or she. He or she. We love everybody here. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever pronoun you identify with. We are we are happy to have you here. But EJM does make a, an interesting point. Like, if this if this extra uh, wild card, card spot weren't here, the Phillies aren't even in contention, right? Like, it's in a, yeah, in a way, so it's almost... I, I think part of the yeah. reason that there has been a lack of buy-in is that they are a third-place team, that there are a dozen games behind the leaders of this division. I, I do think that's mm -hmm. a factor. I agree with this point to an extent. If the Phillies won 92 games, finished the season strong, and they won that wild card spot on merit, I would say, I don't know. I mean, listen, they earned they earned it, right? Like, they were a good team. They played well. They yeah. overcame a ton of adversity. Everyone was waiting for the collapse. It never came good on them. But if they back in, and I tweeted this the other night, this race between the, the Brewers and the Phillies is starting to take on 2020 NFC East vibes, you know, where yeah. it, the team just totally backs in. They didn't really seize the opportunity. And so, yeah, if the Phillies make the playoffs because they win 86 games, they win three more games down the stretch and outlast Milwaukee, I agree. Unless they make a run and make some noise once they get into the postseason. But if it's first round exit, 86 wins, I do agree. I don't think it's really going to change the reality at all. Let's turn the page. And I'm, I'm going to throw this out to the people as we kind of get into the Eagles here. Want to know, drop it in the comments on the YouTube channel. What are, the, are you most confident of in Philly sports right now? We just got done talking about the Phillies. Now we're going to, let's totally flip the script to a team that I think almost everybody is quite confident in, and that's the Philadelphia Eagles, who are only one of two teams in the entire league, the only team in the NFC, with an undefeated record entering week four. Um, I want to know from the people, I'm sure you do too, what are you most confident of in Philly sports right now? Bob, I, I think it, it kind of goes without saying here that the thing that most people are going to be confident of is the Philadelphia Eagles. You and I, this is where, <laughs> this is where I, you know, we always come back to Rustradamus here, and I don't have a name for you yet. I, I like Bob the prognosticator is not great. You know, prognosticator. Bob, Bob Nosticator. Maybe that, that could work. But um, you and I, when we used to do this show with Kincaid and San Filippo at, at the uh, ESPN, the 610 ESPN studio, we used to talk about a guy who used to uh, be under center here 
And you and I were always very much on the same page that Carson Wentz, not a top 10 quarterback, not a top 12 quarterback, had some issues. Our friend Anthony, uh, you know, would go go to bat, top 10 quarterback, could make a case top seven, I believe, is where he said Carson Wentz would max out at. And then once the Eagles kind of turned that page to Jalen Hurts, you and I were both like, you know what? This is a good move. Carson Wentz is a loser. No offense to Carson Wentz, who I'm sure is a delightful human being, great avid hunter, nice family man, good Christian boy, all that. But Jalen Hurts seems to have like a winning gene to him. There seems to be a confidence to Jalen Hurts that Carson Wentz just didn't exude. And that's not to say that every player needs to be this like massive extrovert. I would even go so far as to say that like Jalen Hurts doesn't really exude, uh, you know, being this like crazy extrovert over the top. He's not a Joel Embiid in the, in the media. Jalen Hurts just kind of has like the it factor. And I'll be honest, for as much as I was behind Jalen Hurts last year, I did not expect his play to take that next step like it has so far through the first three games of the season. Are you surprised? Be honest. Are you surprised at the level that he has taken his game to thus far this season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I I have a lot of confidence in Jalen Hurts and, and have for a long time. I mean, but I do think it's interesting. Everyone in the NFL works hard. Certainly some players work harder than others. But the one thing you always hear about Jalen Hurts is, well, he's going to work as hard as he possibly can, and he's going to get the most out of whatever it is he has. And that's great. I think people probably had differing opinions on what exactly he had. What is the ceiling? And I thought that he could be a, a slightly above average quarterback in this league, that if you build a really good team around him, he could he could win a lot of games for you. Um, the ceiling through three weeks. And, and again, I don't want to be one of these guys. I think it was Mike Sealski who wrote something along the lines of like, you shouldn't be excited about Jalen hurts because we saw this happen with Carson Wentz before or whatever the premise Wait, was. Sealski took a shit on, on like people's excitement about something yeah, in Philly sports. Don't enjoy something. And, and that's fine. Like I, I, understand, I, what Mike was, I understand what Mike was, yeah. was, was driving at. And I get it. Yeah. And I, I think that there's something to be said for like, yo, pump the brakes a little bit. I mean, enjoy this, but pump the brakes a little bit. It's been three games, but you're starting to see here that the leadership is real. The, the passing improvements, the accuracy, the timing, the anticipation is, is real through three games. And you can start to say like, this isn't, this does not look like a player that's just going to be completely overwhelmed the way that he looked back in January against Tampa Bay. This is a player that looks like he still has some room to grow. And so it's not going to be just this linear progression from here through week 18. You know, I don't know that he wins the MVP or anything like that, but I think what you're looking at right now is a quarterback that, that probably has top 10 potential and you can win a lot of games and potentially a championship with that. It's wild. I think the thing that stands out the most right now is that his release time has reduced by, I think a third of a second, his ability to get the ball out of his hand quicker than he did a season ago, which I think is indicative of two things. And one of them, I actually have to give Howie Roseman credit on. And you know me. I'm big, you know, Howie institutional arrogance guy, right? But there are two things I think are at play. One, he's more confident in the offense. He's more confident in his position as the starting quarterback of this team. But the bigger thing is, Howie Roseman has surrounded him with weapons. I, I would actually make the argument that the only place that they're deficient on offensively is they don't have a star running back. They have like a pretty decent running back by committee. They don't have a guy who can get you consistently a tough 100-yard game. 
and that's okay. Like, I don't necessarily know that you need Yeah, that. I don't think their offense is really designed or built for that. You know, I, yeah. I think we'll have those pop games, but they're not a team that that needs to or wants to run with a single player 120 yards a, a game. You know, it's just not really what they they do philosophically. Yeah, and so I, I look at they made one move this offseason that I think has fundamentally altered things, not on the defensive side. They made a bunch of moves there that I think have paid dividends, especially in the secondary, the last-minute move to get – help in the secondary where it was, you know, absolutely needed and the Saints made a huge mistake. But on the offensive side of the ball, they did something that for once in Philly sports has had a positive cascading effect. The acquisition of AJ Brown has allowed Devonte Smith to blossom because defenses can't just cue in on him like they did a season ago. Quez Watkins now has more space in which to operate. Uh, Dallas Goddard hasn't exactly had like the biggest, you know, eye popping numbers, but he, he has been open in spots and it's actually, I think kind of encouraging that he hasn't Jalen hurts. Hasn't relied on him as like the check down blanket, like the safety blanket. Like we usually see young quarterbacks do at tight ends. AJ Brown inspires the most confidence that a, a wide receiver I think has in his role since Terrell Owens was in town. Now I know that there are people who will immediately scream to Sean Jackson, game breaker, you know, deep threat. You know, how dare you say that? But what A.J. Brown is able to do, his ability to body up, to snatch a ball out of the air, to like you feel confident that nine times out of ten, the ball goes to A.J. Brown, he's going to rip it out of the air. And look at what it did, last week especially, but over the last two weeks for Devontae Smith. It opened up coverage. It opened up a level of confidence in him getting himself involved in the game, so much so that when Jalen Hurts does hit him with that ball over the top into two defenders, Devontae Smith is confident enough to go up over two defensive backs and rip down a ball that, quite frankly, I don't think he would have come down with a year ago, and I don't think we've seen a receiver for this team make in quite a few years. So yes. where do you stand on this? You watch NFL Red Zone on any given week, and you see receivers go up and win 50-50 balls, and you're like, man, why doesn't our offense do that? And mm -hmm. This year you're seeing a, a different story. I mean, listen, yeah, you said a cascading effect. It does. I think for the quarterback, it, it's two different things. One, you're talking about more space, more options. But number two, it really does come back to a confidence thing. You know, hey, I know that my guy can win this route. I know that my guy can win this ball. And, you know, I'm not to pile on Jalen Reger, but – we're in a situation here where you go from one end of the spectrum to the complete, the complete other. And I think that that's what we're seeing now. And I think that there's just so many different factors. And if you're an Eagles fan, one thing to be excited about is that they have shown you and they've shown opposing defenses that they can beat you a variety of different ways. You know, if, if you want to blitz and you want to sell out, Jalen Hurts can beat you with his legs. They're going to be able to run the football effectively. You want to sit back in zone. Jalen Hurts has been able to make the good reads here and, and, you know, take what's there. And he's been able to take some deep shots. I mean, they've put a lot of stuff on tape that if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, I think you're looking at the Eagles right now and you're like, I don't know how to best attack what this team is doing because they're showing you an ability to win in a variety of ways, to move the ball a variety of ways. And so I think that that is, is what's really kind of scary about where the Eagles are heading. And you hear all of this hype, and this is the one thing I think we all have to kind of take into consideration. They've built the Eagles up so much now through three weeks. I mean, we've just mm – -hmm. everybody, yeah, this is the best team in the NFC, number one in power rankings. But when you build up a team to that degree, when that team loses – 
the fall, the freak out is, is going to be substantial. So like with the Philly, yeah. if, I'm sorry, if the Eagles lose on Sunday to Jacksonville, it's going to be, Oh my God, we're the first three weeks of Mirage. You know what, what happened here? How does this, and, and you know, that's coming. Like the Eagles aren't going to go undefeated. In fact, I would venture a guess to say that between the Jacksonville and Arizona games, and I know they're a substantial favorite at home on Sunday. And I do to a degree, I, I respect Jacksonville. I think they're a pretty good team, but I, I, kind of wonder to what degree shut out of the Colts then you go out west for another monster game are they really that team that can then again come back and get up for a big game against the Eagles I just don't know that they're going to be ready for that yet I don't know that I would take the Eagles to you know win by six and a half plus but that being said I think the Eagles may lose in Arizona who's been extremely unimpressive uh, so Mm -hmm. far and people are going to freak out I think what you have to understand here is that this team looks a little bit better than, than even some of the most optimistic people thought. And they look like they could win 12 games here, maybe 13 games, which is, which is pretty crazy. I think this team's legit. You know, they'll stumble at points and Jalen Hurts will have a bad game or two. But I think what you're looking at here is a, a, a real product. It is interesting to think about. And, and I know this has probably been, I haven't been listening all that much to Philly sports talk radio this week. Um, I have to imagine the question of, you know, is Doug Peterson going to get a standing ovation? Is he going to get booed? Are they, are they going to cheer him? There is something to be said for a coach who has already found some success with a team that has been absolutely brutal for um, the majority of your lifetime and my lifetime. Um, there's something to be said for playing hard for a coach who clearly has like instilled some winning vibes and winning culture into a team who certainly is not Urban Meyer. And... <laughs> you know, getting up for it even more because as a player, you know, this is our guy. This guy got run out of town after winning our opponents a Super Bowl. We're going to play that much harder for him. And so, like, I actually think that this could be a trap. I think that, like, I I do think the Eagles will win, but I think this is going to be a very painfully close game. Like, I don't see the Eagles busting through here with like a a 12 or 13 point win. I could totally see this coming down not to a last minute field goal, but like maybe this is a a three point game, you know, with eight minutes left in the fourth and you're going, holy shit, like is Jacksonville actually going to pull this one off? I think they'll ultimately win, but like there, there is that intangible. I mean, listen, it's it's unquantifiable thing. I mean, they'll play for him. They, they obviously have a lot of respect for him. Doug Peterson gets his teams when they're, when they're functional and they're not run by a, a total dork loser quarterback who feels threatened and jealous by his backup. And, you know, I think that the teams play for Doug Peterson and we've seen uh, quite a bit of that. We know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other, the other real element to consider here is that Jacksonville's good. You know, this isn't, yeah. this isn't a bad team that has no talent that Doug Peterson has somehow gotten crazy results out of. I mean, that defense is legit. It's a formidable defense. You know, Trevor Lawrence, you give Doug Peterson a lot of credit, but you're talking about a guy that was viewed as a generational talent when he was drafted. I think it mm-hmm. speaks more to the to how inept Urban Meyer and that coaching staff was, really. And I think what you're seeing now is a pretty damn good player with a pretty good run game. You know, I, I really do think that this is a, a legit team on paper. And uh, I think it was Ross Tucker – I know he was on this show earlier this week, but I had heard him on the radio earlier this week. And he's like, I have Jacksonville as like the ninth best team in the NFL. And I mean, they're projected currently when you look, take all the the formulas and advanced uh, analytics into consideration and they're projected to make the playoffs and not just because they're two yeah. and one. Uh, 
You know, so you're talking about a real team here, and this is going to be a good test for the Eagles. I feel like the the one thing that we can agree on, and that that I think everybody's going to be able to agree on going into this, is so far, and it's it's a very limited sample size, there's nothing right now to tell us that the Eagles are going to come up small at the start of the game. Like, I know that traditionally, or at least you look at the last three years, there have been games where it, it, it's felt like the Eagles have taken way too long to get into games, where you're, like, kind of smashing your head against a wall. Like, why does it feel like they need a quarter to get right. themselves revved up to play? And and to their credit, the one thing that it seems like they have had no issue with this year is is getting up for these games. It doesn't matter if they're uh, you know they're up against a a team that many would consider a Super Bowl contender or Super Bowl favorite. Uh, they they seem to meet the moment. I am a little bit concerned. I'm a I'm a little bit like I said. I'm a little bit concerned with what Jacksonville could bring, and then you know the next two weeks after that are, are going to tell you a lot about what this team could be. You know, Arizona, in Arizona, not an easy game. And then you've got, you know, the Cowboys coming to town. And God knows what Cooper Rush is going to be like at that point. And Jerry Jones, of course, put it into the universe that, you know, he wants there to be a quarterback controversy because he wants Cooper Rush to play so well that people, you know, question if, if they should bring Dak Prescott back or not, you know, when he's healthy. But, like, those are two big games. And I don't think this team is going to look past Jacksonville, uh, but it it is going to be interesting to see how they meet this moment. You know, do they do they come out hair on fire, put their foot on Jacksonville's throat for the most part, go through the motions in the second half of the game, or is this a very physical game that you know nobody really has a leg up and it really does come down to the wire? I think it's more likely the latter. Um, what do you expect to happen in the game? Like, wh- how how close do you think this one could really be? I think this is going to be a very uh... Very tough game. I think this is going to be one for three hours that you're like, see, I told you that Jalen Hurts isn't legit. I see, I told you that this offensive line was overrated. Jonathan Gannon, he should have blitzed. It's going to be a lot of that, I think, for three hours on Sunday. And I think that they'll ultimately prevail. I mean, over-under right now is sitting at 46. I believe that's actually down a tick or two from where it opened earlier this week. I believe it was actually as high as 48 at one point, 48 and a half some places. So um, I think that you're going to see a little bit of a back and forth game here. I, ultimately, I do think the Eagles win. I wouldn't pick them to cover, um, but I think they'll survive. And I do think that one, one criticism of this team, in a way, I think may help it. And it's the whole, they have not been a very good in the second half. They haven't closed. Mm-hmm. They haven't finished. And this is a young team in a lot of ways, but there are some veterans here that have been through this. Uh, you know, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, we, we know that. I I don't think that this is a team that's going to start reading the press clippings and, and feel overly good about itself. I, I just don't yeah. think that's in the DNA of this team. Um, and I think that some of their second half struggles, in a way, it gives you something to look at. And I don't want to say struggles. You know, there's, there's something to be said about game flow, especially last week against Washington. Washington goes on a long drive, eats away the majority of the third quarter, like, you don't need to be overly aggressive. You don't need to get the 40 points in that game. So I do think you you do actually take your foot off the gas a little bit. But I think internally they want to play better in the second half than they have the previous you know, three weeks, really. And I think that gives them something to focus on and improve on. So they shouldn't come into this game feeling like we're a finished product. We, we're playing our best football. And so long as you have something to kind of key in on and keep you honest, I think that that'll probably work in this team's favor. I've got a score of twenty-seven, twenty-one. Okay, so I don't like, know where I don't. 
Where where are you at? So you like the uh, you like the over and the the Jacksonville cover, huh? Yeah, that sounds good, pretty good. I, I think the Eagles are a pretty good bet to score at least into the mid twenties here. Uh, I'll, I'll say something very similar along the lines of like twenty seven, twenty three. Okay, uh, just to give people an idea, right now our friends at Barstool Sportsbook promo code Broad one thousand. If you're going to sign up this weekend, uh, they have the over under right now set at forty six. They've got the Eagles as a six, as a six and a half point favorite. Eagles are a minus two eighty six favorite on the money line. Um, we'll see. No value there. There's no value in that. There, there is not. It's almost one of those times where you almost encourage somebody to like explore the alternate spread or the alternate points and try to like find some value in the margins there. But yeah, there's there's not a lot here. You know, I don't know if you've taken to this or not. I've found myself the last few weeks uh, not placing pregame wagers, but waiting until live betting kicks in. And playing the um, the flash betting on DraftKings on like how the the uh, the drive is going to end, and I've done pretty well there. You know, I don't know. There's just like something about that idea of momentum. I know, you know how like that story can... ends, unfortunately, but uh, there's probably a little element of beginner's luck to that. But we'll see. Now, nah, Bob, you, you know, know I would tell you if I were betting this, I know you know Kyle usually has me come in and say like give give us a pick. I would take the over in this game and. Uh, the weather does concern me a little bit. It looks like we're going to miss the brunt of that during the uh, the Eagles game. I think there's some showers that they expect to maybe come in uh, in the middle of the game. But I don't think, unless the winds are crazy, which right now they're not talking about. But all things considered, I mean, you look at the Colts and they've allowed a combined 10 points. Or I'm sorry, the Jags uh, the last two weeks a combined 10 points. The Eagles allowed seven to the Vikings and, you know, six defensive points to the Commanders last week. You're talking about two defenses that are playing really well right now, and that's a fairly high total in a league where there have been unders hitting left and right with depressed scoring and feels like a lot of points, and I feel like it feels like a lot of points for a reason. So I would take the over there. Hey, I don't know if you have thoughts about tonight's game really quick. I think this could be uh, maybe the game of the Rapping? week. Dolphins, the Dolphins, Dolphins, Bengals. I think Dolphins, Bengals is going to be a good game. Um, let's let's chill a little bit, Bob. I'm sure people can find over on uh, crossingbroad.com, DraftKings. DraftKings has the bet five win 200. And of course, the promo that has cost them money, uh, the up seven early win promo. So if you're not a DraftKings Sportsbook user right now, if you sign up, go to crossingbroad.com, sign up there, help me and Bob out. If you go there, uh, you can opt into a promo. It's the up seven early win promo. As long as your team takes a seven point lead at any point in the game, they'll pay out the money line win early. So if you're on the fence about like Miami winning or about uh, Cincinnati winning, they take a seven point lead and then get blown out 42 to seven. You still win. That's kind of nice. Anyway, yeah, you can actually our... get your money back right away and then reinvest it live on the uh, flash betting and lose it all. There you go. We are here to help. Yeah. We're here to help those who, uh, who want to dive sports into the sports betting waters. Yeah. Um, hey, real quick before we head out here, um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts. On the Philadelphia Flyers. Do you, uh, how many games are you going to watch this year, Bob? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. So, John Tortorella, yeah, who I think most, kind like, of guy. Torts, yeah. You know, Torts is kind of going out, the, the team's kind of building the entire identity of the team around the head coach, which they've tried before and hasn't worked. Um, just in a general frame, do you like seeing a, a, an organization build their identity around their coach? It kind of seems like not the the best method here. Like, can you remember a winning team that's been built almost entirely around their head coach? Marketed or built around the personality of a head coach? 
I would say marketed. Yeah, that's what they're going for here. Probably not. I would I would say that that probably there are probably very few examples of that. I would tell you that guys like Mike Tomlin sort of set the tone, you know, going to the NFL. I think that they're kind of tone setter personality setters. Uh, and there's obviously been some results there, um, yeah. you know. So, yes, I mean, there's definitely examples of saying that this is our guy. Let's work down from there. But no, it's probably not going to to go well. But I do think that at least one thing that Flyers fans will probably be able to take comfort. Yeah, Rex Ryan with the Jets. Rex Ryan that with works, the Jets says Andrew that on works the, for on a the very short period of time for sure. Um, I do think that one thing that'll be kind of comforting or maybe at least therapeutic for Flyers fans this year is that they will often be frustrated and the coach will probably convey that frustration uh, and uh, that'll probably resonate. You know, that was the one thing that always frustrated people with what Gabe Kapler and Joe Girardi taking it back to the Phillies is that you're having these these losses that make you want to rip your hair out and you're getting like, well, you know he's trying and we'll, we'll do better and we'll, we'll see what happens. And you're not going to get that with John Tortorella. I mean, he's came out yesterday. Right. And basically told him, told press, I don't know if we have a captain right now. Like that's, you know, you get that honesty and and people probably at least have some initial tolerance for the, for the pain, you know, early on. Okay. I think that's that's a good spot. Right. I think, I think that's a pretty solid flyer stake by the, uh, by the Phillies guy. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably it, Bob. Unless there's anything you wanted to get into about Philly sports, anything, no. uh, anything no, tickle your like fancy at this a, point? It looks like we're gonna have a, a double. I'll leave you with a take here. It looks like the Phillies are gonna play oh. a double header because of the hurricane, so they're pushing up the double header against Washington, which would have taken place on Saturday to Friday. Yeah. So I think you'll have a pretty good idea where the Phillies are at come tomorrow night. Uh, you know, the Phillies are either basically going to solidify their playoff positioning or you you know that this is over. So at least for Phillies fans, the torture should last only another 36 hours or so. And, and just to put it on record, you do believe that the Phillies are going to make the playoffs. I do. Um, I, I think they'll, I think they'll win today. And then I think they'll, they'll do to Washington what they've essentially done to Washington for the, for the bulk of the year. And then it'll probably get a little weird out in Houston but I think they just they squeeze in. I just think you sit at a. Uh, I know this is a, an insane theory, but I think you sit at a roulette table and you you watch it come out black, and eventually it has to come out red. And I, I think that that's what's going to happen here. Um, I've I've been around this team. I mean, I'm not just like some dude sitting on his couch all all summer watching this. Like, I do think this team's a little different. I don't think it's a championship team, but I think that there's enough pride and enough talent there that they can figure this out over the next week. Would you say the Phillies are a valuable bet at plus 2000 to win the national league? To win the national league? No, they're not going to win yeah, the national no, league. No, 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 I mean, the path okay. there is St. Louis, I guess the Mets Braves. I mean, the Do- there's no way. No, it's not. Happening. Yeah. Maybe a series. Um, I don't know. I don't know what uh, our, our guy behind the glass is saying there's breaking news. Breaking I don't news. know. And then is there breaking news? The I, cliffhanger. I don't like when he drops these things in. Like he, he drops a nugget. So this is either going to be one of two things. And I should turn on his camera. Uh, hopefully he is uh, decent at this point. I want to know what the breaking news is. Unless this is like sarcasm because we, uh, we said that the Phillies are going to make hold, the playoffs. He says. he says, hold. The hell's the breaking news? If anybody's out there watching right now and you know what this breaking news story is, what's the breaking news story? I This is bad. <laughs> this is called bad radio, bad potting, 
bad showing dave behind the glass uh all right i don't know what the i don't know what the breaking news is i got nothing i yeah we got it we got it listen it's i think it's time to go at this point um (laughs) listen you can go follow bob go follow bob on twitter at bob it's bob wankel cb right yeah yeah. Over on uh, over on the Twitter, you can find his Phillies musings on CrossingBroad.com. Of course, if you search his name, you can find him uh, writing about legal online sports betting in a number of markets. By the way, if you're watching from the great state of Maryland, you're going to be getting sports betting soon. What's this? What am I looking at? Crystal Rich. Crystal Rich is not renewing Sixers Outsiders. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We do need to talk about this, Bob. This is... Uh, Perhaps the most seismic shift in the history of uh, Philly sports media. Um, I don't know how Philly, uh, you know, NBC Sports Philly doesn't renew Sixers Outsiders. You talk about a show with a, a ton of insight. You talk about a show with great engagement. Um, I I don't understand. I, ju- I I don't get it. Yeah, I'm utterly. Question. Spe- I'm, I'm speechless. Is this is this because Tyrone is on the best show ever? Like, does he just need to focus his efforts? Was he going to walk away from the show? I think Crystal Rich seems nice. I will say, I feel like there's a spot in Philly sports media for Crystal Rich. Um, it might not be on Sixers Outsiders. Ter- I will say this. Taron Hatcher is not going to be doing the uh, the Flyers pre and post game. Maybe Crystal Rich moves over to that. Desk. I have no idea who's going to do Flyers pre and post game. Um, I do feel bad. I feel bad on the level of I don't like to see anybody lose their job or their role. I was not a fan of Sixers Outsiders. I hope that they land on their feet. Tyrone's got the afternoon show now. That is what it all. is. I have no additional, no additional thoughts. You, you, great job. It's the best show ever, from what I'm, I'm told on the afternoon. So um, there is a question mark, not very definitive, but they, they say it's the best show ever. Anyway, uh, big thank you to Dave behind the glass for dropping in the breaking news. Uh, it fundamentally altered Philadelphia sports. And uh, big thank you to all of you who watched live. Those of you who are listening on the podcast feed, don't worry. Your 6'10 savior, Kyle Pagan, will be back on Tuesday. I believe he'll be joined by Kevin Kincaid, who hopefully won't rupture an Achilles at the uh, Philadelphia Union media game today. Uh, so for Bob, find him on Twitter at BobWankleCB. I'm Russ on Twitter at JoyOnBroad. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to Crossing Broadcast, the only Philly sports podcast.